Hello everybody and welcome and this is the Midnight McBride Show episode number 42. Now I've got a very special lady in the studio today and this lady's called Cathy Hardigan. Not Hagendas, Hardigan. And Cathy is a internationally renowned Feng Sui, if I'm saying it right, Feng Sui or Feng Sui expert. Cathy's been in over 11,000 homes on various social media channels. She's got over 10,000 followers on different channels. She's now an author as well. She's been doing videos for years and we're very honoured to have her on the show. So welcome, Cathy. Thank you, Patrick. Now, you're also the creator of Wealthy Spaces. So we called this show, which everybody will know because it'll come up in the show title, Creating Wealthy Spaces yeah. with Feng Shui or yeah. Feng Shui. So how do you say it? How do you say it, Cathy? I just say Feng Shui. Feng Shui. Yeah. Feng. I, what I did is I wrote it phonetically and put F-U-N-G-S-W-A-Y mm. so that I would pronounce it correctly. I know that's not how you spell it, but Feng yeah. Shui. Yeah, so I, I did a bit of research for the show and I'll start at the beginning. A lady we know, um, Rebecca Scarlett Davis, who's done a show with me and she's a sonic gypsy <laughs> and a beautiful soul, very lovely woman. And she put us in touch. Now... I've read Karen Kingston's book, uh, Clearing Your Clutter, and then Creating Sacred Space, a second book, and I've read them. The Clearing Your Clutter, I've read, must have read it eight or nine times now, and I've got it an audio book. So this was a show I really wanted to do. I was very keen to do it. So when Rebecca came along and said, I know this lady, and you probably want to meet her, <laughs> I said, yes, let's get her on the show. I did a bit of research, and I'll tell you, I looked at your social media channels, and... 10,000 followers, 11,000 followers, very, very popular. You've accumulated uh, a big fan base and people that follow you, you know, with what you're doing. You've recently released a paperback book, which is Seven Days to Transform Your Life. And you've also been an author of eight to ten ebooks as well. That's so, right, yes. you know, you're an accomplished author, <laughs> I think what we'd say. So we'll start off. Tell us a little bit, Cathy. Um, before we go through your life journey, which is what we do on this show, we go through the life journey and then we bring you into the present moment and we talk about all the things you're doing now, which is interesting, very fascinating. But maybe tell us, Feng Shui, what is it? Feng Shui means wind and water. Yeah. And it's about two energies that are around everybody all the time. Yeah. Um, they basically to do with the flow, the flow of energy. We can't see it, but we can sometimes feel it and feng shui is about where art meets science so it's about our environments and how those environments are energetically set up to make us feel or think or respond a certain way this is good because this also there's, there's deep psychology in this as well because an external environment can be set up deliberately to instigate certain behaviours totally. and reactions. I mean, something simple like yeah. a supermarket where they always totally. put the milk at the back, so you're going yeah. to get brainwashed with all this stuff as you go through, you know. Well, that's one side. I mean, in, in the modern world, the whole mm. marketing world, is, they don't have the knowledge of feng shui necessarily, but that's what some of it is akin to. But I would like to emphasise that we are talking about a spiritual philosophy. Yeah. Um, some people don't see it as a philosophy. It has come from the I Ching, which is an ancient book yeah. from the Chinese pre-Confucian times. Um, and so, you know, it's not something we've all thought up in the last 20, 30 years. This is ancient. It's, it's rooted in ancient ideas um, about life, about the universe, about why we're here. Yeah. And then we bring it all down to, you know, what what is around us that's affecting us. See, when I first read Karen Kingston's book, we will get to your life journey, but I think it's good to just get a little bit of an idea of where we're going with this show and what we talk about. When I read Karen Kingston's book, it inspired me to do a clear my clutter, you know, before then you create the sacred space and you clear the space and then you get into the arranging and movement of the energies in the room and stuff. But when I did this, the first clutter, your external world and your interior, your internal world, and you can correct me on this, but uh, um, they're just a mirror of each other, you know. So mm. by examining and looking at the external world, you can learn things about yourself 
and vice versa, if you look at yourself inside, it'll explain why you have certain behaviours and traits mm. externally. And by changing your external world, it has a massive impact on your internal world and vice versa. So I was struggling and I couldn't fix certain things in my life. So what I did, I went and cleared the clutter and then they just happened, mm. you know, by moving and rearranging yeah. and clearing that space. So. Yeah. Well, I often say, and throughout the book, it's what's around you is within you. Yeah. And then I kind of recently aligned with what Bruce Lipton is saying in The Biology of Belief, yeah. talking about, you know, one's environment is having a conversation, even on a cellular st structure level. So what's yeah. around you is affecting the very cellular just st structures within you and, and, and your organs and your blood and everything. Mm. So, and, and I have been in 11,000 homes and I have seen that evidence 90, of this. 95. <laughs> well, no, it's because I've, I'm, I'm actually an occupational therapist yeah. and it's because I am a community OT, occupational therapist, that I spent most of my time going in and out of so many homes with so many backgrounds and cultures it was a delight to meet so many people, but my goodness, was that an amazing prerequisite and a huge learning for me yeah. when it came to my feng shui consultations. You couldn't do feng shui without being in so many homes because you realize that the same messages keep com coming back to you. And that yeah. is most of the time people's health is being affected by what's around them and mm. who is around them as well. Mm. There's a lot of stuff that we'll get to later on in the show, the Bagua, and you have a you use a different term for that, don't you, as well, which we'll talk about, and possibly about the actual energies, these heavy energies in, in your rooms and your, your home and stuff. But you mentioned Bruce Lipton there. Now, we had a lady on this show, and I think it would be great for you to meet her at some point. She's called Rachel Jacobson, mm. and the show's called The Energy Lady, and she's okay. all about energy and she also does the tapping which we'll touch on later yeah. as well but she's actually studied with Bruce Lipton she was wow. in America and Fantastic. she's wow. you know done courses Fantastic. with him and actually yeah. been with Bruce Fantastic. Lipton as well yeah. yeah 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 some of the things you've quoted in your website and I'll I'll read these which are great and some of the quotes that I've used myself previously Churchill, I hadn't used this one before but it's it's very profound and more current which is we shape our buildings and thereafter, they shape us, mm, which is Churchill. Totally. Nikola Tesla, which I think three people at least who've been on the show have used this quote, which okay. is, you know, if you want to understand the universe, think of energy, frequency and vibration, which is all what Rebecca's about, isn't it? Yes, vibration, it is. Yeah. Sound, yeah. It's the frequency. same. It's just a different focus. Yeah. You know, she's working with the sound energy and the currents and the flow of sound. And with feng shui, um, it's it's dealing with a, a lot of other... It deals with sound, but it also deals with a lot of other areas. Mm. Um, Colour and design just being two. But I also have created um, another aspect to it to do with aroma. Yeah. The energies of aroma and how that imp impacts upon your own perceptions and feelings. Because when I've done space clearing before... As well, I, I have a bell and I have, uh, you know, sage or whatever yeah. going round. And, and so the, yeah. the sound, the bell is supposed to clear the space as well, you know, yes. like a little ceremony almost, yes, you know. Yes, a ritual, yeah. yeah. You also referenced The Tao by Lao Tzu, yeah. uh, a book which I've read several times okay. as well, which is also a book. Paolo Coelho wrote a book later on. He's wrote several books, yeah. The Alchemist, but he also wrote a book called The Warrior of Light. And that book okay. is based on the Tao, you know. And okay. Wayne Dyer, I've read a lot of his books, and yeah. he's also um, heavily influenced by the Tao as well. Now, this book predates the Bible, doesn't it? It goes yeah. back way before yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Another aspect in feng shui is, well, it's the Ayurveda world as well. We, we don't talk about it. It's This is 4,000, over 4,000 years old. Yeah. And they have their own form of feng shui called Vastu Shastra, which is an Indian form of feng shui. Yeah. So these philosophies and, and ways of determining how your space is operating for you in the best possible way are ancient, ancient methods. So we'll get to your life journey. Go on. Okay. Now, there seems to have been an influx of people from Liverpool on this show in the last 
few weeks. I know that Rebecca Scarlett Davis is from Liverpool and I've just done two shows with a guy called Greg who's originally from Liverpool. I think in the last six shows, probably four or five of the people have been from Liverpool. So there's this spiritual community, spiritual people that come from there all, all, all at once. So you're originally from Liverpool. Yes, I'm originally from Liverpool and I'd like to say that when you are born into any environment for the first few years, that's all you ever know. So yeah. you can't make any comparisons to what is around you because this is all you know. Yeah. And I realised that the environment, I, I used to play in a derelict house and even in that derelict house, I used to think, oh, um, how can I make this better? I must have been about five, six years of age. How can I make this better? How can I improve it? Even though it was derelict. Yeah. <laughs> and I also, and I do believe that children under the age of seven have an amazing kinesthetic, call it sixth sense, of how environments are making them feel and that they they pick up on this. And I certainly picked up in in, in our house, in our street, um, that there was one of the rooms that wasn't okay. It didn't feel right. Yeah. And I didn't put a name to it. I just put a feeling to it. So I'm not as visual. I'm more kinesthetic. And so when I go into new places, I'm feeling it. And yet... I realise that the rest of the house um, was beautiful. It was creative and we had a very small garden in, on the street and it was like having a huge, big park in that garden. Uh, I agree with you 100%. When a child is born into this world, I think they have abilities and gifts that we lose as we become older. Life gets more complicated, we become stressed, we put more toxins in our body mm. and we become more corrupted, you know. And I think children are born and these pure beings yeah. of light and it's like plucking a flower from the source and as we get older we lose these gifts. And I think a lot of children still have the big toe permanently dipped in the spirit realm. You know, they're connected, yeah. they see spirits, they see things, they see energies, they feel things that as adults we become a bit more dumbed down to it. Well, I think when kids are born they're asking, what am I doing here? Mm. And I do believe they have another world they talk to in mm. order to actually come to terms with being alive, with being in the environment they found themselves mm. in, no matter what that environment is. They're like, hey, hang on a minute, I'm source energy, what am I doing here? I, I didn't well, ask for this. <laughs> I, you know, my friends with the roses on the, on, on, the, on the wallpaper, you know, I went into another realm and yeah. I'm not the only child to do that. No. And I think because they see craziness, they hear craziness, they go to another world to be able to feel connected to something that's far bigger than what they see immediately around them. But yeah, I think as a child, you you still see magic everywhere, you know. If you see a bubble in the sink and there's light passing through and you can see a little rainbow in the bubble, you're like, what's that? Or you see a rainbow yeah. in the sky or in nature. You're still in awe of everything around you. You see everything. You haven't labelled it and boxed it off. It's not yeah. become, you know, normal. And so the magic's still all around you. But as you get older again, you, yeah. you lose that too. But I, I, don't, I don't know if you do. Yeah. I, I well, still, some, a lot of people I still do. see magic. Yeah. I still see magic. I still feel... You're very special though. I don't know. I don't know. I think that... I see magic, but I see a I lot of people that don't. I had an experience when I was travelling in New Zealand and, you know, it was... I mean, the environment there was amazing and stunning. But I'm, I swear, I do believe that nature speaks to you. It's speaking to you all the time. Exactly. I mean, you cannot avoid it. And I think you have to be solitudinal to be able to realise that. Because if you're with somebody else holding their hand, or oh, we're all together, you know, drop the hand. Don't be afraid to walk alone on your journey sometimes mm -hmm. and realise that all around you, the trees, the birds. I had a bird and it followed me all the way and I know it was talking to me. And everything is yours. Everything. And no one's not wealthy. Everyone's wealthy. What's mm -hmm. within them is without them. Mm -hmm. And so... When you start to change the perception, 
which is what Bruce Lipton is talking about, which I've been speaking about for years, but not with the science background that he has, that you start to change your life and realise that this is your cup. You want to change your world, change your mind. Yeah. Change your mind. Yeah, and your perception. It's your perceptions. And so um, I just feel that the world, you know, the, the, the word wealthy spaces is not just about the wealthy spaces outside and it's not just about how much money you've got, but if you can start to see wealth everywhere and the wealth that lies within you, mm-hmm. that's where you do become amazingly rich. Yeah. In your life journey, which you just talked about perceptions, you originally went to an inner city school and then you changed school and this then changed your perceptions. I want to really label this point. I went to inner city school in Liverpool. Yeah. It didn't get any worse. There was no trees, there was no flowers, and they were building the Royal Hospital in Liverpool at the time. Pieces of concrete, and there was barbed wire around that school. The school's still standing. Why? I don't know. It's not a school anymore. But to put kids in there and expect them to excel, oops, hang on, that's just it. Because when you're in certain environments, they don't want you excelling. And that was not the that was the agenda actually, not to excel. So it wasn't one of the nuns invited five of us to go to a suburb school with three and a half miles outside the city. And nobody else noticed it because they were used to that environment with the cherry blossom trees and the beautiful big oaks and ev- everywhere. But I was amazed by it. And the difference in ambiance, yeah. energy. Hey, these kids were confident. Mm. I didn't know what that was. Mm. I don't know what confidence was. I had street confidence. Mm. No problem. Even if we're looking there at the space in the street, you know, space, street, energy, business, entrepreneurialism. That came from something within me. But... When I went to this other environment, the confidence of the pupils was unbelievable. I'd never come across it before. This might explain then why at the age of eight you started your first business. Um, no, because I hadn't moved to the suburbs by then. Oh, I only moved before. to the suburbs right. at 16. I'd started the business and it was about the fans coming to park their cars and, and what it taught football me. Fans. Yeah, 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 Everton football fans at that. And um, they were very gracious people and it was about taking up space, but I was using the space in the street to make an income. Mm-hmm. But what those, it was many guys, what those guys taught me was how to communicate and how to do business in terms of, you know, thank you very much. The gratitude, thank you for giving me money for minding your car. And those little tiny things have served me throughout my life. Sort of a protection racking, really, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was, because I never minded the cars. <laughs> Give us your money here, I'll scratch your Well, car. I remember, can I, can I tell you a story? Of course you can. So one night, it was, it was a night match. And this guy, I didn't have a car, we didn't have a car in, in our family. They had like, this guy parked his car, it was like a black sports car at the end of the street. Anyway, I said, command your car, please. Said, no problem. Yeah, okay. Now, I didn't even know what an aerial on a car was. But anyway, match came out. He came out early. I went down to pick, get me money. And he said, what's happened to me aerial? I said, don't know. What's that? He said, my aerial. I said, I don't know. I said, but where, where's my money? <laughs> Did he pay you? <laughs> I can't remember, but it, I just it's just one of those amusing stories where... Yeah. As a kid, you're so focused on making the money that, you know, you didn't even know. But I learned from it because after that, when people came and parked their cars, I'd say, hello, sir. I would say, can you please put your aerial down? Because they may snap them off around there. Now, that was not a threat from me. I would never do any damage to any of the cars. Yeah. But when I look back, it was a bit, a bit of a mafiosa <laughs> saying, <laughs> yeah, really. A protection racket. Yeah, yeah, but I, I was saying it genuinely to make sure, because I didn't want that happening again, yeah. you know. And um, it was amazing teaching for me. And then 
in the notes when we had the pre-show chat, mm. Cathy, you also then, it says at the age of 13, you had a, another business. Yeah. Is that the same or? No, what, different business. What was that? There was a market not far down from where we lived. It's a quite famous market in Liverpool because it's where all the sailors used to come um, at the, you know, turn of the century. Yeah. The big ships come in and people come from all over the world. And it was originally called Cajunou Market, but now it's Great Homer Street Market. And there, um, you had to have, you know, a market stall to go on. But there was no spaces left. So there's a piece of wasteland adjacent to the traditional market. Yeah. And so some of us started our market stalls there. My sister was very ambivalent about starting it. You know, she said, oh, I don't think this is for us. I just looked at her and I just said, you know... You can you can um, go if you want, but I have to be present here. So I opened up the painting table, put a right. cloth on, and got out all the jewellery that I was selling. Right, so it was jewellery. It yeah. was fancy goods and jewellery, but at yeah. the at the time it was just rings. It was rings, and you know there was a, a moment where the mind can go either way, you know, do or don't, and I chose to execute and do. And I opened up another world for me by doing that. Well, at that age as well, it must be a great experience because you, you, you're learning so much, aren't you? You don't realise that at the time, no. Patrick. No. You don't realise that. Um, I also had to protect my mum further on down the line from the, unfortunately, the criminal mafios around there as well. Right. So um, I was doing things that no young lady should have to do in order to protect herself. When we were unp- when we were packing up, there'd be hosts of them all around waiting for you yeah. because you had a little, made a little bit of money. We didn't make much. And I had to hold the metal bar and this was a sign to them, if hopefully they could see it, mm. that I would be protecting my mother at any cost. All the people on the stalls, all just trying to make a le- earn a living. They yeah. weren't crooks in any any no. any stretch. But you find it everywhere. I've lived all over the world, and you find you'll find crooks anywhere. Even in the upper echelons of Beverly Hillbillies, I've been there. I've been to Bella. You know, they're all everywhere. There's, there's yin and yang. <laughs> the yin everywhere, and yang everywhere, yeah. and. Um, so getting onto the environments, these environments have all made me realise how imp- how they impact your perception of your life and what you think mm. is possible. You know what? You know when I went to the inner city school, they didn't want us to do any O levels. I had to fight to do O levels because yeah. those teachers were quite prepared to put us away at the age of sixteen. There was no hope. Then I went out to the school in the suburbs, in Broughton Hall Convent School. And the girls there had been groomed by the environment, by their parental environments. Not saying my parents didn't do the same, but the environment that they were living and being brought up in and being educated in were totally different. So they cultivated them for confidence, um, for perception of what is possible from their life. Mm. And it showed. Yeah, yeah. It showed. And we didn't have any fields to run in. We had no swimming baths to swim in and one day I was running in the hockey field and the teacher stopped me she said what are you doing here I said I'm running and she didn't understand why and I said because I've never been able to do it before and coming back to your comments before about you know people who've had some kind of loss in their life or lack of opportunities in their life when they see opportunity they don't hang around to to philosophise about it, they take it. And yeah. this is what I was doing. Yeah. And that carried on. But you actually had trauma yourself as a child, didn't you? Yes, I did. But I didn't know that till much later on in my life. Right. And what I'm about to say is very powerful in terms of anybody with kids and their environments. So what happened was my mum was having a, another baby and I was put in a nursery for two weeks. Now, it was only for two weeks. And it was outside the family. No one ever came to see me. So I was on my own for two weeks. I was three years of age. And then I came back into the family. And I was never the same. Why? Because the environment was different. Nothing happened to me. I only remember people with white coats. 
they tried to force some food down me that I wouldn't eat. Yeah. Because it wasn't familiar to me. That subsequently resulted in many years of eating disorders because I wouldn't eat. I didn't realize that at the time. It's like these patterns have only come up as you go older. You, these patterns, you look yeah. back. But I was in an environment where no one I knew and the colors, it was very, it was very hospital clinical colors. And when I returned home, somewhere inside of me felt that I didn't belong. Mm. And that created issues with child behavior that I didn't realize until much later on. Mm. And what happened in the end, I wouldn't eat. And because I wouldn't eat, I wasn't getting nutrients. And many, many years later, I couldn't walk at the age of 18. I couldn't walk for, mm -hmm. for no reason. And it took me some years to discover that I had a condition. And I, to that, this day, believe that that condition was created because I wouldn't eat. And I wouldn't eat because of what happened to me in the nursery. Yeah. Not that anything happened to me. I wasn't assaulted or anything. And why I'm saying this is because I'm just sharing that a sudden change of en environment for anybody, but especially young children, has a huge impact on their psychological identification, their perception of their world, whether it's colours, whether it's people, whether it's the smells. We all know how we feel when we go into a hospital. We can smell that clinical feeling, um, the warmth of people or the lack of warmth. And so, and it's no different for people who are at the more end of their lives where maybe they've got dementia or Alzheimer's, that the environment also impacts people. So the inability to walk, and I, it resulted in me being in hospital. Now, if they'd noticed it when I was younger, which they could have done with an X-ray, I would have been in hospital for a full year. Yeah. And... I dread to think how that would have impacted me being in hospital in a clinical setting for a year because it affects the young children and often they are pampered and it results in a different kind of personality. But I didn't have that experience until much later on and I wasn't in for a year, I was in for a couple of months. Yeah. But I learned from those environments being there in London being in that environment, how it impacted upon me in terms of structure, institutionalization, and many other aspects of the environment. So, Cathy, moving on, the next stage in your journey involves a lot of traveling, but where do you go between, you know, 18, 19 to start traveling? Did you get a job first? Did you just start traveling? What happened? Good question. I had to get out of my environment. I just had to. I found it very limiting. Were you at home at this point? Yeah, but it wasn't that. Yeah. I had to get out of Liverpool. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean any disrespect to that, but I wanted to expand mm. my horizons. Travel will do that for you, won't it? So Different I ended cultures. up in Greece, in Crete, teaching English. And the society there was very, very restrictive for women. Mm. So I found it emotionally very difficult to be disconnected from my family. And so then I realized much years later on, being away from home was a problem. Why? For you. Yeah. yeah. Because the pattern had already been created when I was taken out of my own family environment at the age of three. This is deep. This is deep psychological stuff, mm -hmm. which is why feng shui is all very much about deep, very, very deep emotional, psychological, spiritual shifts for people when they change their environment, what's in it, who is in it, and their perception of that. Mm. And so what I realized and what I learned in my 20s was that um, being away from the source of my family caused emotional issues for me because they were traumatic from the very beginning. 
So, but I kept on wanting to go away and go away. So I was complete, consistently traumatizing myself mm-hmm. by going away to different places until it came to a point where I wasn't. But I learned so much about myself and I learned so much about where I come from. And, and it's also ancestral. So patterns are everywhere and feng shui, bringing it back to feng shui, that's what we're dealing with in feng shui is patterns of energy that surround us all the time. They may not be ours, they may be other people's. And it's being able to discriminate what's yours, what's mine, and how can I improve that? My experience with Feng Shui is that, for example, there's a lot of the stuff that you can reprogram yourself and you can do it, you know, you can analyse yourself, um, go in inside and figure stuff out. But then stuff at a deeper level, subconsciously, that you struggle with, that you can't necessarily do, by doing this, clearing the clutter and setting up, mm. arranging things so that the energy flows in a different way then that deals with stuff that you can't deal with on the surface. It's, it's deeper, yeah? I, I, when you're explaining this, it makes total sense to me. You know? It's very, very good insight, that, because a lot of people say, well, you know, it's all very well changing the outside, but it's you, it's you yourself that you've got to change. But, you know, if I was to say to people, well, you see that, you need to stop taking that drink, and you see that, you need to stop eating that sugar, it doesn't happen. And I've used feng shui as an occupational therapist in the mental health world, Mm. in the community. And I got the best results from people because what I ended up doing is saying to people, what do you think about what's around you? What do you think that color does for you? How does that piece of furniture make you feel? And it's throwing the power back to people and saying, and asking them, because so much of the power is taken away from people to make decisions about themselves and also getting to know themselves. You know, who am I really? And so I've, I have used it very successfully. And if I ask them to change themselves, they're not going to be able to do that. But if I say to them, well, what is it we can change around here that, will make you feel better on the inside, then they can go and do that. I won't do it yeah, because I'm not shuffling other people's stuff. They've got to do it for themselves. And I'm sure any psychotherapist would say that as well, is that you're here to talk about yourself, your inner self, and it's up for you to shuffle your stuff and make sense of it for yourself. And it's the same for feng shui on the outside. A lot of people... The, I'll give you some examples here, which I we, we had a lot of fun with when we first started doing this. Was One was presents, right? You buy a present, you don't like it, you don't want to offend somebody, you can't throw it away, you've got to keep it, and all this stuff starts building up. Yeah. And it's all this bad energy that you don't want. So yeah. I got to the point where I said to everybody, please don't buy me any presents anymore. Yeah. And initially everybody was offended, yeah. right? But then they sort of got there and started to understand that I'm quite particular, and if I want something or I need something, I'd like to choose it myself. And there's no point in buying me these ornaments and things that, you know, you just don't want. And So we got to the point, I think we got bought some bedding ones from, I won't say exactly who bought it, and had these patterns on. I thought, I'm not using that. So it was in the cupboard, and I said, you know, you need to give it back. And, of course, initially it offended people, but I think it was a really healthy process to say to people, because... Mm. We need to be able to have these conversations and say, mm. no, I don't actually mm-hmm. want that. It's not that I don't love you and I don't appreciate mm-hmm. you, but that's not what I like. I don't mm. like the colour pattern, whatever. But another thing as well is the we have attachment, emotional attachment to objects, and they have energy attached to them. Consequently, we might have certain pictures and uh, certain things, uh, an old wedding ring, or you get the idea, but mm. objects that will bring an emotional response or attachment from previous events. And again, sometimes we just need to get rid of this stuff, you know, and it's it's that process. It can be very difficult for people to part with this. And mm. I, on a couple of times in my, going through my life journey, I've got rid of everything I own, literally, you know, buy some very basic clothes, everything else went. Mm. And it was so liberating. I felt completely brand new afterwards mm. you wouldn't believe that well i can't sure believe would, yeah totally I, I totally resonate with what you're saying and i think it's a process that 
we all have to go through some time in our life. We have to learn to let go. And what's around us, we do kind of put our energy into and that becomes an identity. But we don't even know what our identity is. You know, I mean, yes, people say, oh, I come from this place, but that's not your real identity. And, you know, talking on a more of a spiritual level that, you know, there's so much more deeper things within us. Um, and I, that's why I think I, I've tra I traveled a lot. Mm. And I worked in India in a hospital and it was like one room to sleep. And then there was a little room for the mm. toilet. I don't think I've ever been so happy. And it's because... It was simplistic. And when you have lots of things around you, it becomes more complicated and you become more drawn in to things. I'm not saying have a minimalist um, environment neither because I'm, I'm not particularly um, selling that neither. I'm not selling anything. I'm just saying mm. that when you learn to let go of things. Now, I cleared out a house in that same street where I had a, uh, my man in the cars. Um, I cleared out their house of 44 years. And the guy, um, a guy came to take a couple of bits of the furniture and he was taking it up the street while I was crying because in that furniture was all my childhood, all my feelings connected, my mom, my exactly. dad. And I said, I can't believe I'm crying because of the bureau where all the books were that were there all the time I was alive in, in that house. And, you know, and I think... How can this be? But I have gone through that process, and as a natural, uh, as a natural, pro and this was with me since I was a kid. That when I emptied the house, I looked around it, and I did a ritual. No one taught me this. I did a ritual, and I did this ritual when I was a kid on my own. Nobody else in the family saw it. They didn't know it was going on. And it happened especially at Christmas with the real Christmas tree and the lights. And But I did this little ritual, went all around the house and I thanked the house. And I thanked the house and I was grateful for looking after all six of us in the family and thanked it. And there was no major tragedy in the house. Yes, my mum did die, but she died, you know, um, it wasn't necessarily she was very old, but I don't believe it was the house, the energy mm. in the house. It was a lot of other things. And I felt so good thanking the house and, and the Native American Indian in me that said, you know, here's the feather to say goodbye. And that environment... I have to say, is still inside of me. Mm. And we carry environments in and around. People listening to this, think about where you slept as a kid and what was on the walls and what was on the pit, the pictures on the walls and what was the smell of your first, you, you know, of, of, the, of the house you, 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 you actually lived in. So these are all memories, but they actually are energies that actually frame your perception of life. Going back to being minimalistic, I think it's Eckhart Tolle always says, he says, simplify, simplify, mm. simplify. Yeah. And it's a constant process. Rather than having a big clear out now and again, every time something yeah. comes in, we should be getting yeah. rid of something and that flow. It's all about yeah. letting energy flow in and you've got to make space, haven't you? Well, some of the examples I, I have to share are unbelievable where people... You know, with, with, with really bad clutter, it's people are very guilty. They feel very guilty. They feel very shameful. And if you try and help them, it's really mm -hmm. hard for them. Yeah. And people's health are affected by what they've got around them as well. There's at least a dozen countries where you've, you've travelled and you've worked all over the world. Mm. Maybe tell us, just talk us through some of them. Because I know you said you're in the USA as well. And then you've been all around, you know, Jordan, the United Arab Emirates, Egypt... And what did you like? Zanzibar. I went to university in Santa Barbara, California. Right, right. So I went from inner city Liverpool to Santa Barbara. And these countries, some of the ones we've just listed, did you work in those or were you just travelling through those? All different kinds. Yeah, because you've got down as well Nicaragua. I did... Um, can I just come back to California? Because that was a huge, huge gap. Um, and it's not because from coming from Liverpool, but south... California 
is different from most places in the world. And um, I found it quite vacant. Um, I, but I loved Northern California because there seemed to be a lot more um, creativity there. I'm not saying there wasn't down south, but there was just a difference. And being in these different environments just threw me into how does this make me feel? What makes me feel balanced? What makes me feel alert or um, not comfortable? And all different kinds of features. You see, California is very much like Mexico. And yeah. so there was a beautiful architecture all running all the way up and down California. And I went from California and then I went down to Mexico. And Mexico was a little Mexico bit more, this is many, many years ago, but mm -hmm. this is like dirt, a bit dirty. And, I, and when I got to Mexico, I felt, oh, I feel more at home here. It's quite interesting that the kind of architecture was more akin to what I came from, to the more, or the missions are quite old, but generally, you know, the urban, the urban organization of California is a lot, a lot more modern. So those environments, I could start to pick up the differences in how this is making me feel. And then you want me to talk about Nicaragua. Well, that was some years later because I was involved in radio journalism. And yeah. I won an award to do research in community radio. So I ended up with the Native American Indians up in Canada and listening to their story. And where they took me to stay, it wasn't planned. I just ended up, I didn't realise they were taking me to their reservation. So I passed all the reservations at the totem poles. And that was very special. Yeah. And it wasn't it wasn't arranged because I'd gone on a on a wing of a you know, I had some interviews lined up, but it wasn't with, with the native the First Nation. And that environment taught me things as well. Working as a radio journalist then this got you into all sorts of different environments and homes, didn't it? It did, yeah. And, yeah. and, and that's how I ended up in Nicaragua then. I'm meeting people from all over the world. Um, it was the time of the Daniel Ortega and the Sandinistas in, in Nicaragua fight, fighting for their independence and their, um, their own form of democracy. And I ended up in radio stations up in Matagalpa. Radio, that must have been exciting. Radio Insurrection, yeah. yeah. There's guns going off and everything. And um, lovely, lovely people. And um, they looked after me. Um, strangers, that is. Mm. The strangers looked after me. And um, how environments just... They had nothing at that time. I don't know how it is now, that they had nothing. And... Um, but when people wear smiles on their faces, it, it does definitely up, uplifts the energy. Absolutely, you absolutely. Um, that's very poignant because I talked about that on a show we've just done about with current events, how you don't get to see people's smiles like you used to and a smile's infectious. And if you don't see somebody else's yeah. smile, you don't know if they're smiling or not. After a while, you stop smiling yourself. Yeah. And before you know it, the smile's gone. It's killing the smile. You, yeah. you know what I'm saying. That's right. True, true. Yeah. And the eyes are another indicator of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whether you can see sadness or fear or whatever in the eyes. And that is part of the of the environment, how mm. people how people are and how they treat you. Mm. Um, I ended up, I was, I was working in HIV and AIDS in Salford and I, Is this, so these are all the places that I ended up because I ended up going to, to Tanzania and New York City because of that. So I think this is a key turning point, a pivotal point. So after Nicaragua, you come back to the UK, it's 1993 and this is when you first got introduced to Feng Shui. Yes. Yeah. Tell us about that. And you were teaching as well. At the time, I just finished studying occupational therapy. So I was in and out of people's homes anyway. And I was teaching aromatherapy yeah. and massage because I was involved in that at the same time as studying. And somebody came into my apartment and they walked in. They went, hmm. He said, you have excellent feng shui, naturally. 
I said, oh, what does that mean? So she explained. Yeah. And right away, I took up with it. And I studied it and studied it and studied it. And um, then I started teaching it. And you taught meditation as well, is that? I right? did as well, yeah. With, with the Feng Shui um, at the I had, same time. There, there were different classes. There were yeah. different classes. And I started off teaching massage. Then it went to aromatherapy. And then I w went into Feng Shui. And then I started teaching meditation. And so, that was in eight of the centres in City Centre Manchester. And they couldn't get enough of me teaching it. So the meditation, because this is going back it's quite a while ago, yeah. what kind of meditation was it? Um, it was uh, not transcendental. We did meditation using mantras. Mm -hmm. And then we went on to being given access to a light and sound energy. So you're doing these classes. You're going around different colleges. Yeah. You've then got your, your private clients as well. Yeah. So this is when you're, you're really starting to yeah. build build your business and your name and everything. Amazing, then. yeah. I've got so many opportunities in Manchester. It was unbelievable. And I, I yes, the, the, the feng shui really led into the meditation because I was also talking um, teaching about feng shui and numbers and astrology and the low shoe square. It led neatly into what goes beyond the box, the box of our life where we have nine different areas of our life. That's great. But what is beyond the box? Mm -hmm. What lies beyond the mind even? And so I was teaching people outside the college then privately. I had lots. I had people coming from all over Cheshire and Merseyside, Manchester and policemen. Everybody in yeah. my house te le um, learning how to meditate, and we were all meditating together. So from 1993 till now, Feng Shui has been your life, hasn't it? It's been your your calling, maybe? It's combined with aromatherapy and meditation. Yeah. They, they're like friends. They never leave. Yeah. Good friends never leave. And they've been with me. I use aromatherapy alongside Feng Shui now. I use Feng Shui alongside meditation I use feng shui alongside financial education that I latterly have been studying and realising and learning. And I use feng shui with property developers. Yeah, I met a guy who um, was one of the first people to teach about um, teaching online, really, and webinars. And I did a retreat with him. And we were out in Cyprus and I, let, I, I discovered a whole load of people who were like-minded and were fascinated about energetic, energy in the food, energy in interrelations, energetic patterns around homes, um, energetic patterns in the political systems right across the world. So it opened up a whole new world to me of not just online, but financial systems as well. I go in and I'm reading on all different levels. So I'm reading the aroma. I'm reading the colours. I My template is the five elements, which is um, the, it's the basis and the foundation to feng shui. And then I'm reading um, in terms of, you know, where where is the clutter and where's the space? Yeah. I'm looking at light. I'm looking at sounds or hearing sounds, what's the sounds? And um, I'm reading the pictures, what are the pictures depicting? And I'm going to ask you about tapping as well. Is this something you practice or you teach or is it part of your regime? That's a good question, really, because I didn't really set out to teach anything like that. Um, but what I've included in the book is a chapter on inner feng shui, which very few people talk about in terms of feng shui and that is going into the deep deepness within yourself and looking at the rooms you have within you and your perceptions and cleaning those windows mm -hmm. so that you're looking out at a different you're looking at, at your life in a different way mm -hmm. and discovering the hidden the hidden joys and the, the the true gold and silver and the the hidden gems that lie within you and that's what inner feng shui is so part of my inner feng shui program is using the tapping to align yourself 
with letting go of whether it's the clutter or letting go of anything that's energetically blocked and creating positive aphorisms for yourself in your own space. That's the inner feng shui house of you and on the outside. So the the tapping then, is that like it's EFT? Is yes, it, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the easiest ways that people can access something they want to either eradicate or something they want to introduce into their life. And I use it for clutter. I've got some of you, um, some of them on YouTube just to dealing with your basic clutter. Um, but you can do it for all kinds mm. of, you know, I want to, I want to let go of, you know, my clutter. I want to bring in the wealth into my wealth area. And this is the kind of wealth I'm, I'm, I'm resonating with. Because one person's wealth is another person's clutter. So what is it that you feel makes you wealthy? You know? That's that's a good question. Yeah. You've done 10 ebooks, is that right? Mm, 10 ebooks. Yeah. And then you've got a new book, which yeah. is out now in paperback. I say new, it's about a year. This is actually a year yeah, old, yeah. A year old. Yeah. Now, what's the book called, the full title? Seven Days to Transform Your Life How to Discipline Your Space for Health, Wealth, and Love. Okay. And what we'll do as we get to that, then we'll go to the book. We'll we'll probably do a little bit of a breakdown. I'm going to ask you some questions about the book. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm on a test. <laughs> the, the question I was going to pose then mm. is in at least two, if not three of your book titles is the number seven. Mm. So this number seven obviously is quite special. Mm. And maybe is it significant in Feng Shui? Well, um, all numbers are significant in terms yeah. of one to nine. Um, they have the low shoe box. Those no, each of those numbers represents an element. An element is an energy. So there's five different kinds of energies. And inside those five energies, you have a yin and a yang. But in all honesty, the seven is, a, you know, people are using it in the marketing world anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the feng shui world, number seven represents the element of metal and uh, is the future. It's, a, it's the number of the future and it's the number of creativity. And it's the metal element. So what do we mean by metal? Well, that metal is about your mind because your mind, everyone's mind operates like metal. It cuts things, it judges things, it puts things into boxes, whether consciously or unconsciously. We're always doing this all the time. Oh, that's good. That's no good. Hmm, that's a loss. That's a, that, that's a plus. You know, um, this way, that way, which choice up, down, hmm. This is the this is how metal metal the yang of metal is a cutting cutting, mm. and the yin of metal is mercurial because when metal is got fire in it, it's melted, and that's what the number seven is. It's number seven in the in the low shoe square of feng shui is about metal, but beautiful creativity and flowing. Okay. So it's a beautiful way to for, for a book to flow and be creative and allow other people from whatever it is they pick up to flow their creativity from in their own environments. So, Cathy, if you've been in 11,000 homes or, yeah. or more around the world, there must be some examples, without maybe naming names, of particular cases that have been very interesting or maybe... I don't know, somebody's partner's died in the house and that energy's there or some of the tales you've got to tell. I've been into people's homes where they were in a wheelchair but they couldn't move the wheelchair, they couldn't move it from here to there mm -hmm. because they were surrounded with clutter, that much clutter yeah. that they had blocked themselves in. And whilst not everyone has a wheelchair that they blocked themselves into, energetically we all can block ourselves into places and spaces and and psyches that keep us locked in, in our own prison. Yeah. And so that was an example. And the other thing is that if you go to say to people, well, this needs to be cleared up, they become defensive. Yeah. Understandably. They're attached to But let me stuff, tell you this, and this is a warning to everybody listening, that another story where in a different city where I was working. Somebody had a stroke and they had no control over who came into their home. And people went in 
and got rid of it. And some people who I didn't like the, the tone of made a mockery of what was in there. And I didn't like that. That's why I got out of that particular environment because I didn't like the lack of respect towards the, yeah. the, 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 the my, whether they're clients or whatever. Um, I honour whatever space I go into. That's where that person is. And it's not that I'm judging them, but I'm trying to help them. Yeah. In a way where I can build a bridge that they understand in what way I'm trying to help them. That person's belongings were eradicated. And what I'm trying to say is that if you don't get your house in order, no matter what age you are, because no one knows what, what timing they've got left or they're going, that other people don't care about what you've got and they will throw them all into a skip. They won't go through your photographs. They won't go and, and have some idling longings and memorial types of ahs and oohs. They will pick them up and they will put them and shift them out. So get your house in order. Now, that's my message to everybody. And there's nothing wrong with having a beautiful environment. But just be aware that, you know, what you treasure, other people don't. And so... Um, other examples I went into, um, obviously, this is you know, there's no, no names mentioned, but there was a young child who was a, who was very ill, and it's an energetic illness they had. Now the parents couldn't see. There's a child upstairs ill, and downstairs, there's like fifty boxes, because they were running a health business. But the chaos of the whole living quarters was having an effect, an impact upon the child's psyche. Yeah. But the people living in there couldn't see that. They couldn't see it. And so I have to say to everybody that we don't always know the kind of prison we've all built for ourselves. And that's where the feng shui consultant comes in. I'm not advertising myself here. I'm just saying somebody who's objective can say, you know what, did you realise that? You've got this over in the corner there and it's it's got a voice and it's saying something that's not positive to mm. you. So if you've got all that clutter, one guy had 18 black plastic bags in his kitchen. Now, these are extreme cases. But one woman, she at first wouldn't let me into her house and then, you know, I've got away. I use my Liverpool humour, which really goes a long way, I have to say. And she let me in. And, you know, you could feel the shame. You could feel the shame coming from her. And I have to disarm that in order to be able to have a conversation. Yeah. And so I did. And I guess if it was me clearing it up, it would have been okay. But I wasn't allowed to do that in my post. So um, I got somebody who was great. Um, to do it, but they wouldn't, still wouldn't let them in. Mm. So the energetic patterns in people are frozen. People are frozen over time. If they don't shift environments or if new things don't come in, we all become frozen energy. Mm. And, you know, um, Oscar Wilde described it amazingly in The Selfish Giant. When The Selfish Giant, you know, those kids melted his frozen energy and he laughed again and I believe the world is full of people who are frozen and mm. one way they can start to defreeze that is by changing their environments to start with and looking at what they've got on their walls their pictures making sure that they're they're not frozen pictures but pictures of nature and warmth and glow and of people you know, um, that's just to begin with. Um, but the first port of call would be always to let go, let go of, of, of your clutter. I think if you get to a certain point, this is why the maintenance aspect's really important. Because if you just move in one direction, uh, it can become completely debilitating and then you, you, be, you become stuck and you, you, you need help. You know, I, I, I've yeah. been in those situations. That's why I've got rid of yeah. everything I own. Now in my life, all the things I have, I have 
almost zero emotional attachment to any possessions whatsoever. I have attachment in a different way. Everything in my life is functional. Mm. If it's not functional, yeah. it doesn't belong there. So I, you know, I love my push bike and my mm-hmm. sports gear and everything, but it's all functional. Mm. It's it's because I use it and I love mm-hmm. it. Things that I don't use, uh, or things that don't serve a purpose, um, you know, most most of the things in my life, they could go tomorrow, and I wouldn't elsewhere. I wouldn't give a shit, you know. But functionality is massive for me. Yeah, functionality is important, but I have to I have to also represent the aesthetics in which we live in mm. and the, the artists out there and the creators, mm. and they have to have a, a, a demonstration in their own space of, of what they're thinking or feeling yeah. or a philosophy, and that shows up on our walls. You've even got to look at Banksy to say that. I mean, not particularly a proponent of his, but, you know... We have to have the artists who have a voice and we're all artists in our own way. And I'm, because of occupational therapy, I'm very much on functionality Mm. and I'm an earth sign. But we also have to have something in our environment that elevates us out of functionality as well. That takes us into another realm, another place, another space Mm. where we are into the world of the enchanted forest and to think or, or wonder what what is above all of this? What is our spiritual essence? You know, and it's not functionality; it's another worldliness. I, I completely get that. It doesn't mean I don't appreciate art and, and a beautiful no. picture or something, but it has <laughs> yeah. to be yeah. very sparse. You know, mm. I don't like any form of clutter, ornaments, yeah. or such things like that. But yeah. one nice object or two nice objects yeah. in a room. That can make me feel great. But when things start to accumulate, they're not functional and, you know, they're not not really there to lift my spirit. I want to get rid of them. I'll give you an example. Is like um, I've put crystals in, crystals hanging in the window. So the sun goes through the crystal Mm. and then it flashes all rainbows around. Beautiful. Now, where's the energy come from for that? That is something that makes you think, where's that come from? Yeah. You know, it's come from a, an element. It's come from the otherworldliness. And we didn't put that there. It came of its own volition. We put the crystal there, yes, but we didn't create all the amazing, you know, rainbows all around over the world that that people see or don't always get to see rainbows because they're in inner cities. And yeah. that's the other thing is that, um, you know, I also have said things about feng shui being political and that, People have been almost gerrymandered into cities across the world. We've only got to look at Hong Kong, where you've got the elderly living in coffin-shaped designs um, because they can't afford an apartment. Um, So this, the place where feng shui was born, China, Hong Kong, um, people have been resorted to living in boxes, yeah. And, and and increasingly right across the world because I've I've been across the world and I've seen this whole push towards confining people into small spaces and meanwhile the rest of that country has been the domain of the very very wealthy and the elite mm. and they don't get to see the countryside. I want to give you an ex an example here. Um, I took somebody out of the inner city of Manchester and took them just to the suburbs um, for a coffee. Actually, it was for a drink. And they behaved really badly. And I thought, hang on, they didn't behave badly when, when I was in this environment. Why are they behaving so badly to the lady behind the counter here? Mm. And it was a conundrum. And then I realised... A lot of people never go beyond a certain circumference of their environments because they feel safe yeah. for certain reasons. Yeah. But when they went out of their environment, they didn't know how to react. They didn't know how to respond. Mm-hmm. So they kicked back for no reason at all. And it was unbelievably amazing insight into when people are put into different environments even if that environment is better, they can kick off because they're not used to being in that. And that makes them feel very uncomfortable as if they're being, yeah. in some way, 
um, held to ransom. So they're outside the comfort zone yes. and then they're uncomfortable. Yes. They're probably a little bit frightened. They don't yes. know how to behave. And so what they do is quite often they overcompensate. Yes, that's right. Rash and like... That's right. And, and yeah. pretending that they're really confident when really they're mm. really insecure and frightened. Mm. But that's when you get this overconfident, mm. this strange behaviour. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it was amazing. And that's, that's part of feng shui. That's what feng shui does to you. Thank you.